all this Guardians team does is win. There is no one crumbling, uh, except for maybe the Chicago White Sox. We're going to get into it. We're going to talk about some roster stuff. We're going to get into the American League Central and changes that are occurring. We will dive into the game today, of course, and also get into some magic number talk. It is magic time on today's episode of Locked On Guardians. You are Locked On Guardians, your daily podcast on the Cleveland Guardians, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Locked On Guardians. I'm your host, Jeff Ellis, as I have been for the near 800 episodes, what, 798 now, of this very podcast. Uh, before that, I was a lead draft and prospect analyst at Scout 24-7. Before that, I wrote for pretty much every Cleveland sports blog that has ever existed, it feels like. What a game today. This one, you know, Cleveland got two in the first, and it felt very typical of Chicago White Sox bad defense, right? Well, that's been one of the reoccurring themes. In many ways, they are the antithesis of Cleveland. And it just showed up again. And then from there, Cleveland just kept building and building. Huge performances all around for multiple Cleveland Guardians players. Stephen Kwan, after the four-hit game yesterday, follows it up with a three-hit game today. Uh, in terms of who else reached base multiple times, well, Naylor had two walks, not his forte. and also had a hit. Uh, additionally, Jimenez had two hits and a walk. Will Brennan, in his Major League debut, we'll talk about him a bit in a, in a moment, two hits. While Miles Straw just had the one hit, he still up to a 218 batting average, which where he was earlier is kind of amazing, 564 OPS. Uh, rough game for Hedgie, who is now down to a 519. But Straw also, I think it was the sixth inning, that sliding catch in the outfield, I mean, there's what, maybe two other players who ever make that catch? That is part of you know, it, seeing... McKenzie's reaction to that catch it's just he gives you so much defensively and when you have built a team of pitchers that are fly ball pitchers that is why they value straw so much this defense is set up for the pitching staff they have because we've talked about this they want it in the air not on the ground and they're not afraid of home runs they're not afraid of high home run rates but they want it in the air and they want guys who can cover ground and straw makes it seem easy out there for Cleveland, this was just, it's almost felt like a statement game. Now, there's a lot going on. Let's be honest. This was a team that uh, had already wrapped up the, not the division, but had wrapped up the season series with the White Sox and to just come out and play the way they did to completely dominate the White Sox again. I mean, it should have been eight to one. It was what? Was it a home run in the ninth off of 99? That uh, ends up being the different, not the difference, but the final run in this one. <laughs> I mean, this game was out of reach essentially by the end of the first inning. The White Sox do get that run. I'm sorry. No, the extra run came in the seventh. I, I watched the final few innings. <laughs> you may not believe me, but um, that came off of McKenzie. I guess it was just the hit. I guess the hit that happened. So maybe a double that stubbed up off of 99. I felt like there was a big one. Uh, Straw's big save was against Jose Abreu. I do remember watching that one. Stephen Kwan, fifth home run of the year. Felt like his fourth home run was in the last week as well. No power's never going to be a big part of his game, but nice to see that occurring. Uh, looking at the old... so that No, this was Lance Lynn. I see I was getting confused. And I was told 
but how good Lynn's been, and all he did was give up six runs in this one, three earned in six innings. Uh, Cleveland tomorrow, it's you know the the best matchup. This was each of these pitching matchups got progressively easier for the Guardians. Now saying that, I know I'm totally jinxing tomorrow's game, but Cease versus Savale was clearly advantage them. McKenzie versus Lynn was advantage uh, Cleveland, but it was a little bit closer with Cueto on the mound tomorrow. Now Cueto being a soft tosser, he can sometimes be a guy who would give the Guardians trouble. But they have a very good chance to sweep this series tomorrow. I think we went through it and talked about who reached base twice. Let's do our box score bingo. Cleveland had 11 hits. They also had four walks. And that's the thing. Remember back when they were struggling against Seattle and Baltimore and we were talking about the performance? They weren't walking at all then. We're seeing guys get out there, reach base, and walk. Two by Naylor, one by Jose, one by Jimenez. So that's four more opportunities Gives them 15. The two errors, 17. So at about 17, I would expect uh, between five to six runs, they re- they got eight. And part of that is because they had two home runs, the late two-run shot by Naylor. Uh, I'm curious. you got to assume he's going to get to 20 before the end of the year. And then those are the only extra base hits. There was no doubles, no triples, no anything else. That's all you had in this one. Uh, you can just tell the White Sox fans. I remember doing a White Sox podcast and just... Man, I was listening to the White Sox broadcast tonight, and they compared him to A.J. Pruszynski, the guy who you hate when he's not on your team, and that seems kind of fair. I feel like he is that guy that if he was not on the Guardians, uh, we would not love him anywhere as much as we do. But, I mean, that's that's all players. It's kind of a dumb statement, let's be honest. But you get my point. He is that guy who would get under your skin anywhere else. Uh, No, it was Vaughn who I think had the hit in the ninth, and it was just the big deal because he he was going for the golden sombrero. That's what happened. I had forgotten. Uh, But yeah, Cleveland, so many players uh, stood up and stood out in this game. But let's talk about the big performance. Eight innings, 13 strikeouts, no walks. Six base runners allowed two uh, two runs, on a one on a home run. Six base runners in eight innings, fantastic. 13 strikeouts is a ton. Wonderful performance by Tristan McKenzie, who's now back to 500, showing how dumb win-loss data is for starting pitchers. With as good as he has been, he's just 500 this year. He might be... We talk about Jimenez and trying to figure out an extension. McKenzie might be the number one guy on that list, with as hard as it is to find pitching. It might be McKenzie Jimenez... Is, you know, people get mad, but I, I don't see a route to Bieber. Bieber is in the, the Lindor camp now of getting close to free agency. And I, I don't see it happening. But is McKenzie your number one guy? Let me know. Hit me up on Twitter at JeffMLBDraft. Uh, you know, Quan is clearly one of the three stars, as is Tristan McKenzie. And for the final one, I think I give it to Naylor for the home run and two walks, which, again, very anti-type for him. Uh, Jimenez was up for it with the two hits and the one walk, but I think we go with the home run. And those are the three stars. With this win, Cleveland gets a six spot for the advantage in the division. That's right. They are up six games, uh, which is essentially six and a half with the loss. They list an elimination number of eight for the Chicago White Sox, but it's only seven because if the White Sox and the Guardians end the year tied, the Guardians advance. I went through and kind of did the count, double-checked it, hurt, saw from, you know, Derek Deese corrected me yesterday uh, in the comments, and he's right. It is only a seven. Yesterday was not nine, like or a ten like I originally thought. It was nine, and now it's seven because if, if they tie, 
Cleveland advances. So it is a seven game, seven for your magic number, an elimination number of seven, and whatever you want to phrase it, Cleveland needs seven uh, combined either wins or Chicago White Sox losses, and this is where I remind you, Cleveland gets six games against the Kansas City Royals. We'll talk about the Royals firing Dayton Moore, and that was an interesting situation uh, later on in the show. For now, let's take a quick break. We want to come back and talk a little bit about Stephen Kwan's greatness just in terms of this team in a in segment two of Lockdown Guardians. You know I love it when we get a new sponsor. The sponsors are the lifeblood of this show, so it is fantastic when we get a new sponsor. And we have Nugenics. Nugenics, I should say. Uh, so here's the thing. I'm getting into my 40s. I wish I had the time to work out and the energy, but sometimes with two kids, a day job, and a podcast, I just I don't have the time. And I, I feel the natural wear down and tiredness in my body. I just it used to be a lot easier. Even going back something like five, six years, like I go back, I go back about six years. I was probably in the best shape of my life since of college, and I miss all of that. And the reason I bring this up is because what some have called the winner's hormone or the man hormone, wouldn't it be nice to get that winner's edge again, that old swagger back in your step? Want more energy to counter the nat- negative physical effects of aging? Nugenex, Total T, t- testosterone booster with Testofen will help you turn back the clock, re-energize your workouts, get better results at the gym, and help you look and feel like the man you really want to be. It contains uh, Nugenex. Nugenix Total Tea contains man-boosting key ingredients like testofen and has been validated in five clinical studies shown to boost uh, free testosterone levels in men. Because Nugenix Total Tea boosts free testosterone the aging process that the aging process robs you of, you feel stronger and leaner with more energy and drive and more passion. While every product professes quality, many other products use generic ingredients that are often far less than clinical grade. With Nugenex Total Tea, you get the same clinical potency levels used in trials, as Nugenex formula is backed by 10 years of science and research. It's the number one selling testosterone booster at GNC, and I'll help you re-energize your life. Now, get a complimentary bottle of Nugenex Total Tea when you text MLB to 231-231. Text now and get a bottle of Nugenex Thermo, the most powerful fat incinerator ever with key ingredients to help you get your body back in shape fast absolutely free text mlb to 231 hyphen 231 text mlb to 231 hyphen 231 message and data rates may apply terms of apply available at nugenx.com backslash terms so let's talk some Stephen kwan so for a long time now i've been kind of the guy and i was pulling up my old tweets about just how futile this team has been in terms of outfield development. And I bring it up constantly because there's a point in time when the top five outfielders by war, guys who were drafted and or signed and developed and reached the major leagues as outfielders were Luke Scott, Ryan Church, Tyler Naquin, Ben Francisco, and Bradley Zimmer. Now you can go back in and add in guys like Joe Nunley and Joe Inglet. And then, yeah, Luke Scott, Ryan Church, Joe Nunley... Uh, Tyler Naquin and Joe Inglet would be, I believe, the top five in that particular case. If you, even though Inglet was more of an infielder, uh, Nunley was an outfielder. And, you know, I guess you could maybe view Richie Sexton on that list. But Sexton was a first baseman primarily before he shifted just due to uh, positional blocking. 
Now, I say this because the number one outfielder for the Cleveland Guardians in terms of B-War since Manny Ramirez, in over 30 years of data now, uh, Luke Scott at 11.8, then Ryan Church at 9.1, Joe Nunley would be next at a 5.1, Naquin has a 3.8, and I say all this because Stephen Kwan, and this is, you know, he might get a little bit of a bump as good as the game was tonight, he's up to a 4.7 this year. I believe he was at a 4.5 heading into yesterday's game. Uh, so that's interesting that he got the bump already with that one. But a 4.7. That's right. He is already, he's approaching third best outfielder since Manny Ramirez. And we're not even done with year one. I mean, if he gets to five war, that's amazing. That is a fantastical season. And if Bobby Wake gets more rookie of the year votes than him, it's going to be a, a travesty. He has been that good for this team. 4.7. He is well on his way. He has passed uh, Naquin. He has passed Francisco. He's passed most... I mean, I know you're su- as surprised as I am. He's passed Bradley Zimmer. That's how good he has been. Please note the sarcasm on that last statement. Fourth best outfielder already since Manny Ramirez. That says a lot. If you're curious, Oscar Gonzalez at a 1.7... Doesn't quite make the cut yet. He's in the discussion. He's uh, trying to think if he'd be better than Bradley Zimmer. Ben Francisco is a 2.5, so he's got to work a little bit to pass him on the list to get into kind of that fifth-slash-sixth spot. But Oscar Gonzalez is in the top ten. See, Zimmer is Zimmer's at a three-war. So Zimmer still has him beat as well. But he's, you know, right now you've got Gonzalez kind of the back end of the top ten already. Quan soon to be top three uh, for a team that could not develop an outfielder uh, for 30 years. And that's the thing. Ryan Church, I believe, I could be wrong. Uh, there was a few. The funny thing is, like, you can go back and we all talk about the Bartolo Colon deal. Before that, Cleveland made a series of poor trades with the Montreal Expos. Was it uh, Steve Klein for Jeff Juden? And then I believe it was Ryan Church for Milton Bradley. And when you look at those two careers uh bradley had some high points but man that guy was trouble with a capital t and it led to him not being productive at all and church ended up having what playing seven years in the big leagues Uh, never had had hit for much power but had ops's over uh 800 three years you know had ops pluses four years over league average uh, and he didn't really get a chance to play till he was nearly 26 in spite of really good numbers. And wasn't he a relatively high? No, he's a 14th rounder. Uh, not a relatively high draft pick, but still a good performer and the second best outfielder in terms of production. And yeah, I believe that was Milton Bradley. So before, it was almost like they, they owed Cleveland by the time the old... Um, no, this was the Scott Stewart trade. I was wrong. So it was another poor... That's why I like the Cologne deal... You couldn't feel that bad. I mean, I know that this happened after the Cologne deal when the Guardians wanted Scott Stewart to be their closer, so they traded Mazur as Turris and uh, Ryan Church, and his Turris would go on to be worth 11.3 war uh, and be a solid utility type and an occasional starter, and Ryan Church would become a solid outfielder, and Scott Stewart would hot trash and out of baseball in three years. I'm trying to remember who they gave up for Milton Bradley. But at the same time, like I said, you can talk about the Jeff Juden deal where Steve Klein then became a very good uh, reliever, mostly with St. Louis, but started off with Montreal as well. 
So yeah, uh, they uh, Montreal and Cleveland, outside of that Cologne deal, almost every other deal was was pretty ugly. Zach Day was who they traded, and say only worth two war. I mean, that was probably a wash. Let's be honest with that. He had you know some halfway decent seasons at twenty five and twenty six, but not too much beyond that. It, it's interesting to go back and look at that. But I, I wanted to bring this up because I've been harping for years about how bad the outfield's been, and it's. This is a change. This is a, a definite change going forward. And speaking of, you know, change and youth, Will Brennan with the call up today was a bit of a surprise. Gabriel Arias and Will Brennan both called up. Richie Palacios sent down, and I get that. The problem with Palacios is when is he going to play over Benson? And he's more of a listen. He was a shortstop who moved to second base, and the reports aren't great at any as any of his defensive positions. He was mostly used as a DH when he was up here. It's a hard situation. Adding, you know, Arias just makes sense, though there's a lot of overlap between him and Freeman, so we'll have to see. But he has had some games at first base, so maybe we end up seeing him used in that role as well. Uh, The bigger surprise, though, was Brennan. Now, Brennan was someone you needed to add at the end of the year. This is the former two-way player out of Kansas State who has turned a lot of heads this year. We'll see if he can keep it going you know the hitter we talked about his performance has not been that much dissimilar as a hitter to Richie Palacios Uh, there's some ground for comparison he is certainly a better defender Uh, he is a solid addition it was interesting that the the next guy up the next guy they released the player to clear a spot is Ernie Clement they just don't have a lot of options left that's where they are I mean cutting Clement was likely the right decision there's just not a lot of players to cut now it also means that uh, I mean I'm sure Tito was not very happy I think he probably gets claimed just because he can run well he can handle multiple positions we've seen most of the guys Cleveland released get claimed I mean at least Baltimore is probably going to claim him that's how this works with all of these guys right Uh, you know we might have thought Kirk McCarty was the guy but I think you know they're nervous about losing him again and he's been in an okay lefty for them that'll be very interesting this offseason and we've talked about some of the players they have to add, like Angel Martinez and Bo Naylor uh, at the top of my head. But there's more interesting players they've got to at least consider. And who else is going to go? Uh, uh, something I'm going to be paying attention to. But the other interesting thing, and I want to make sure I give credit, Andrew Kinsman at Fever Dog reached out that, um, you know, saying the rules are, are not very clear but that it's possible that this Brendan could qualify for the postseason, even though he's added after he's not on the 40 man roster before August 1st and essentially what can happen. And as I told him, I go, this is what you do in OTP baseball. So if a player who was on the 40 man or is on the 60, you know, who's essentially hurt, like Anthony Ghost should qualify, but he's not going to pitch. He's got Tommy John. He's done. So you can move a player kind of into his spot. His qualifying spot, since he can't play, you can often move a player and replace them. So Brennan could potentially be, this could be a tryout for the postseason. I'm not saying it's going to happen. I'm not saying it's even likely. But I think they could uh, manipulate things if they wanted to, to let him play in the postseason due to that rule and the situation going on with ghosts. So yeah, it definitely bears watching. And listen, he's another option in that outfield. I think... I've talked about it. I am, in my opinion, I'm going into next year with Straw, Gonzalez, and Quan, And then you got Valera and Brennan in case someone really struggles out of the gate or, you know, if Brennan comes back to Earth, if 
Gonzalez comes back to Earth, if Straw can't hit again, if Quan gets hurt, because I can't see him failing any other way, you have that depth. But I, I don't know where the opportunities are necessarily going to arise for him super quickly, but I, you know, he might be... My original statement, and it's a shame that uh, the 2020... I mean, there's a lot of things were a shame with that 2020 season. Uh, I still would have loved to have seen him be a two-way player. I still think that his best role might be as like a platoon bat slash lefty loogie type. Uh, there were a lot of people who liked him more as a pitcher out of college. Now he's, you know, he has hit his way enough to have earned himself this opportunity. It's great on him with player 16 debut. It'd be nice if they did something for these kids when they debuted in the big leagues. Uh, we haven't seen it yet. And in his first major league game, you know, two hits. Fantastic to see. We'll see if he can keep it up, if he can continue on. But another rookie debut, another interesting player. We're going to take a break, come back, talk about KC, talk a little bit more about where this 40-man roster is that led to you know the release of one of Tito's boys and Ernie Clement on a moment on Lockdown Guardians. Okay, so Dayton Moore is fired. Probably long overdue. The one weird thing is uh, announcing essentially Moore's right-hand man is his replacement uh, in Kansas City. I, I assume it's a temporary thing. You can't stick that landing with that. They had so many draft picks and did such a poor job. And that's what it comes down to. This is a team that keeps... When you look at what happened, um, blanking on the owner, who used to be the uh, minority owner in Cleveland, who I would have loved to have taken over uh, the ownership group here. And one of the top 10 prospects uh, for Kansas City is a catcher who they got in that 2020 draft class just because it, it was very clear that they were going to take care of their minor leaguers when other teams weren't. And he had a willingness to spend, and he's taking care of his people. I'm just having a, you know, a very tired brain moment. But he went out and had let more spend money and it was the Carlos Santana contract which I mean at the time I was shocked by how much he got it was Mike Miner it was a series of weird free agent deals like not even getting good players and they've been in a rebuild essentially since they won that World Series and it's not been a great direction of movement and you can even just I mean look they got essentially nothing for Whit Merrifield and if they trade him three years ago they might have gotten a King's Ransom they did an all-in rebuild poorly (laughs) Like that's what it comes down to. And there's some smart people in place now who will maybe help them in terms of their development. Matt, I mean, pitching-wise, it was a wasteland. Um, if I was a team right now, I would be targeting Asa Lacey. I would. Like, his his stock is so low for a guy who was uh, the number one pitcher in his pitching class, was a great pitcher out of high school, and is just, you look at him and you're like, Kansas City is a wasteland for development. It's the same thing. I mean, I'd be going and seeing... I would always be willing to take a risk on one of their high-ceiling arms that failed. I would see if you can find more. Uh, I think it's a smart thing to do. And honestly, it's like Kansas City. Listen, more won a World Series. Flags fly forever. He will always have that. There's part of me that always feels like there was a degree of lucking into it. It was the most uh, anti-analytical front office series of really weird trades that worked out. You know, they the original acquisition of talent was quite good, and it was by acquiring high school bats with high ceilings and spending way over slot. And then, weirdly enough, this new rebuild, they went away from that. They did not go for those high-ceiling prep players that they built their old core around. Now, Alex Gordon was a reclamation project. 
He had been a high pick, and I believe he was a college kid out of. I wonder. I don't know why I want to say Nebraska. That's not the case, but he was a college kid who worked out well for them. But a lot of those other places were places pieces were um, were prep kids, and then they didn't lean into it. So I'll be curious to see what happens there. You got Detroit doing a full start over, and they've got you know if their pitching gets healthy, they could be. I still believe in Detroit. Chicago, I still like what that front office has done in terms of acquisition of talent before they got super handcuffed by ownership. And the Twins should have money to spend. It's, I think this division will get interesting, but uh, this is a step towards Kansas City not being lovable losers, which have essentially been for almost a decade now due to this never-ending rebuild. I wanted to talk about Cleveland, so let's talk about this 40-man situation. So adding 12 players last year and then having 16 rookies debut this year, the upside is there isn't a ton of players to add because they've mostly debuted this year. The two biggies are Bo Naylor and uh, Angel Martinez. Both top 10 prospects by my eyes. Uh, both guys who should be no doubt ads. You know, Then you've got the guys like Ethan Hankins, who just hasn't been healthy. At points, he's looked filthy. But... Do you, you know, do you try to pass him through? Do you run that rest? Do you not? Lenny Torres is a disaster right now. I, I think you, you don't worry about that. The other first-round pick from that year with Hankins and Naylor. And then, you know, it's like, do you try a Nick Enright? I don't think they do. I think they would have already. Uh, same thing with Miklo Jack, who's had a down year in AAA. You're hoping guys like them will pass through waivers. Uh, the only other guy, really, to talk about is um, Cantillo, who's just not stayed healthy. Gabriel Rodriguez is a guy who they gave a lot of money to out of Latin America. And let's see, is it a broken arm? He hadn't played in a while. This is from uh, Justin L. that uh, had surgery on his right arm. He had been out since late August. So he's someone I talked about briefly. But, yeah, it just doesn't look good for uh, him to be added. It really comes down to, the to me, it's the top two guys in Cantillo. And then... Who do you let go? I mean, I think Shaw is the obvious one. There's no way you pay him. But you might still end up looking to bring him back. Do you bring back Maley? Do you carry four catchers? Uh, and there's a world where you look at it this way. You've got Arias. Arias. You've got Friedman. You've got Miller. You've already got Jimenez. You're keeping Rosario. you got Tenya below them. you got Rokio. You're going to add Martinez. It's what, like eight dudes? Maybe work on a minor trade. Flip Owen Miller. What can can Miller, Arias, and Freeman really work together? I, I don't think so. I don't think you can afford to carry all of those guys. Figure a minor deal. Um, all the better if you can get another draft pick. You know, I'm, I've been all for that. But I think that's the other smart move uh, to consider uh, as well. With like I said, Maley's probably going to get over a million dollars. And I also want to take a second to just point out Eniel De Los Santos, who's been so good for Cleveland. He's only he's got barely a year of control in right now. It's like five more years of team control. So when we talk about like the future pieces of this bullpen, we, we have to discuss him. Like I think we tend to over or forget about him, but he's he was wasn't a huge prospect with the Phillies, uh, but was an interesting one. He's got so much team control. I mean, this bullpen that's going to be the other interesting thing. Do they flip a bullpen arm? Do they deal from a strength? Uh, Alton, who is a fantastic listener, because he gives. You know, he gave us one of our best questions for last offseason, and then he, he came up with a great comp for Oscar Gonzalez. Um, my one caveat, I will say here, 
is his comp is Andres Galarraga, who, who did end with a 6.5% walk rate. That is a little bit higher than uh, Oscar Gonzalez. But in terms of, and you know, the, the damage he did late in his career, we don't know. It does feel a little boosted either by Colorado or other things when he all of a sudden turned into a 40 home run guy. But you look kind of, this, for instance, 1989. Well, maybe that's too high. Let's go 88. Well, probably putting a little too much on there. And Alton pointed out in his first year at a 3.8% walk rate. The one thing I'll say is that was 79 plate appearances. But you go through and maybe it's some of those years like, well, I'm like, what's the in-between year that probably could make sense? Maybe a year like 94 in Colorado. Maybe that's what you're hoping for. But I thought that was a fun comp, so I wanted to give Alton credit and mention it. Uh, Arizona Fall League. I don't think we really have the time to dig into that roster and discuss it in depth about who's going there for Cleveland, but I did want to at least give a beginning talk on that. Um, I, sorry, I love that DePoto is going with um, so with Kansas City. Yeah, the, the son of, of Jerry. For Cleveland, though, I'm not sending any big names. Why do I keep... Well, Angel Martinez, who they will definitely add. David Fry, who was the player they got for J.C. Mejia, who's been the utility type. I'm wondering if they're hoping he'll get a little more catching. Mason Hickman, we talked about him and how good he has been once he's been converted to the relief role. Cade Smith, who was an undrafted free agent in that 2020 class in that relief role. And then Lenny Torres, the former first-round pick, who has been kind of a disaster and had struggled with health and Connor Knox who was one of two batters selected in their 2021 draft again not a huge name list but interesting nonetheless Lest, nonetheless uh, Guardians have a six game lead they have a seven game magic number take a moment and enjoy it they're going to be postseason bound they have a rich minor league system they have shortstops coming out of their ears. They have relief pitching for days. If this team, no matter what happens this year, which is they'll make the postseason. But beyond that, they have every bit of ammunition to go out and get anyone they could. If a truly transcendent talent becomes available with multiple years of control, I saw the terrible Jim Bowden piece. I know I'm being uh, redundant with that, where it talks about, oh, Tampa would certainly have taken the Soto deal from Wander Franco, and I'm like, I don't think so. But if there's a world where Wander Franco really was on the trade block, uh, I, I Cleveland would be the team. They are uniquely set up. So I'm just going to say that like I'm enjoying this year. I'm enjoying everything that's happening. It's a lot of fun right now in particular. But what's even more amazing is when you take two steps back, you think, Younger than every team in baseball. Going to be the youngest team to ever make the postseason. Going to be... They are younger than most than all the AAA squads. And they have a top five minor league system. So all they're going to do is get better. It's a fun situation. Because Kansas City, Minnesota, Detroit, Chicago... Lower on that minor league list. Especially with some of their graduations. Are any of them even top ten anymore? I don't think so. Cleveland's top five in all of baseball. 
and they're going to win this division. I've been Jeff Ellis. This has been the Locked and Guardians podcast for today. Remember to rate and review, please, 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 if you have not. Subscribed on YouTube. Hey, make multiple Gmail accounts and subscribe. We're, we're kind of stalling out here in the mid-sixes, so I would appreciate anyone who goes out and adds to our total. Uh, getting to a 1,000 is huge. I will have more information on my co-host very, very soon. And as I add, as I add, nope. How I add, end every show. Listen, it's 630 Even is a subscriber count if you're curious. Uh long long day i apologize for the extra uh mumble mouthing today but how i end every show go go guardians go